Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 7th, 2022. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco. Uh, on the edge of Silicon Valley, which we like to think is the heart of the world's tech industry. I'm not so sure anymore because the king of tech has moved. He no longer lives in Silicon Valley. He lives in Texas or somewhere else, perhaps in outer space. That king, of course, and I use that word carefully, is Elon Musk. He now has almost 100 million followers on Twitter. He's been involved very much in this acquisition of Twitter, and today's news suggests that he's threatening to end the Twitter deal, a almost $50 billion deal without information on from Twitter on fake accounts. We're all trying to guess what he's really up to. It's very hard. Um, it's hard to tell, indeed, whether he's a brilliantly Machiavellian or a, a kind of in, Inspector Clouseau-like character who seems to stumble his way into success. Um, Musk is enormously powerful. I was just looking at his Twitter account this morning. He attacks huge companies, hundreds of billions of dollar companies like YouTube on his Twitter account with his 100 million followers. Seems to have a huge impact. He's a, a plebiscitary leader in many ways um, and quite autocratic. The news today is, uh, or certainly from earlier in the week, is he wants to cut 10, 10% of Tesla jobs and He's told the people who work for Tesla his day job remains as CEO of Tesla, the electron, uh, the the electric vehicle company. That uh, unless they, his Tesla employees return to work, uh, return to the office to work there forty hours a week, they're going to get fired. Um, he's making all sorts of other pronouncements as well in a Twitter exchange with Jack Dorsey, the original CEO at uh, Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk wrote, uh, 2029 feels like a pivotal year. I'd be surprised if we don't have AGI by then, AGI being um, uh, fully mature robots, I guess. Hopefully people on Mars too. So uh, how do we fight back against these assumptions? Uh, he's already said that uh, Tesla robots could achieve AGI sometime in the 2020s. Tesla is an enormously powerful company. And Musk is enormously, enormously powerful. How do we fight back against the new king? My guest on the show today is trying to fight back. He's an old friend of mine, Vivek Wad Wadwa. He is the author of many books. And uh, he's been in the news recently because he's betting Elon Musk, or he wants to bet Elon Musk a half a million dollars, that he's wrong on that 2029 date. Uh, uh, Vivek is joining us from uh, Silicon Valley today. Uh, Vivek, uh, is Silicon Valley still the heart of tech? Has the king left? We are still the heart of tech. And uh, Elon was never king of Silicon Valley. He actually lived in Los Angeles. He would just come out here to hang out and get high with some of his friends. But that's about it. I mean, uh, so Silicon Valley, so he had a factory in, in Fremont, but this wasn't his base. So, um, uh, Let's talk about the guy because, uh, you know, when you say anything bad about Elon Musk, you have armies of trolls attacking you and then you get accused of being um, uh, a short seller and so on and so on. If you Google my name and Elon Musk, you'll see that I've been his greatest fanboy. 
I've known Elon for about a decade right now, maybe even longer. Um, when I used to hang on with the Singularity University crowd, and we were at conferences together, I even had drinks with him once. And um, I think it was probably the first time on in a discussion we were, a public discussion we were having, that he announced that he was going to retire on Mars. Now, I thought Elon had had, had, had too much to drink before that, but I realized he was dead serious. And when Elon, I, I used to be a syndicated columnist for the Washington Post. When Elon was taking fire from the New York Times and from everyone else, when companies were near bankruptcy, I was writing articles, sticking my neck out, praising him. I said, I'm a Tesla fanboy. The Tesla is a spaceship. Yeah, I remember uh, you're, you're one of the, um, the early Tesla people. I remember your car. I'm sure you still have it. Um, before we get to your bet with Elon, uh, your proposed bet, Vivek, let's talk a little bit about style. You're an old timer. You've been around the valley for a while. Uh, Elon Musk has taken over the king of tech from probably from Steve Jobs. He's the right. first really significant figure, I think, perhaps. Uh, you could argue Zuckerberg was king for a while, but that didn't last very long. There are some very significant stylistic differences between Musk and Jobs. Are these historic? Is it because tech is getting older, perhaps more decayed, more corrupt? Or are they simply different kinds of men? Andrew, I hate to say this, but I, we have common friends. And the problem with Elon is that uh, drugs are destroying him. You know, he, he uh, went on, uh, on um, a radio show, a podcast, I think it was Joe Rogan, and he, had, he was smoking marijuana. He's done every drug there is, every type of alcohol there is. And I see him self-destructing right now. This is what, uh, and Twitter uh, is compounding things because when you have uh, so many followers, maybe 60% of them are bots, but that's still, you know, 40 million people following him. Well, that's a huge amount. Yeah. 100 yeah. million. I mean, last time I looked, he had 80 million. He's got about 20 million in the last week. Who yeah. are these people following him, Vivek? And are they hanging on every word? You're an old timer on Twitter too. Yeah. Um, the trouble is that he's getting high from Twitter and he's saying stupid things. A lot. I mean, Elon, I used to exchange emails. He endorsed my first book, and I would call him a friend. I mean, I was you know, a big, big fan of his. Well, I heard you went drinking. I hope you didn't drink too much, Vivek, with him if he's become an alcoholic. No, I don't drink much at all. Mine is a social, a couple of glasses of wine at the most, uh, uh, once or twice a week. But, but, but coming back, I mean, Steve Jobs wasn't shy of drugs. In but, fact, but, he championed yeah. them in many ways. So he got yeah. high too. Right? There's nothing necessarily wrong with getting high, is there? Uh, there isn't until you become self-destructive. Look at what happened to Andrew Shea, the CEO of, uh, founder of Zappos, a wonderful human being doing a lot of good for humanity, and he destroyed himself. Yeah, we did a, a show actually on Shea, on his biography, a very sad life of a man who evangelized happiness, particularly. He was a good Rome. human being. I'm telling you, I, I knew him as well. He was a good human being uh, until drugs got the better of him. And that's what I believe is happening to Elon right now, that uh, between the high he gets from Twitter and the drugs he consumes, the guy is self-destructing. And this is why I've been so vocal, uh, started speaking up against him. And this AGI thing, we can talk about it, artificial gender. I, I want to talk about it, uh, Vivek, yeah. but let's talk again. Let's maintain the, the breadth. Um, you, um, you, uh, you're one of the early critics of um, the impact of tech on not on our happiness, but our unhappiness. One of your earlier books was Your Happiness Was Hacked. Is there something about Musk's success or uh, virality, if you like, in tech that reflects 
a crisis in the tech business generally, do you think? What your happiness was hacked was about was how the tech industry is making you addicted. It, it literally uses the techniques that psychologists developed to um, uh, cause addiction. And that's how the tech industry works. Elon Musk is addicted to, to uh, Twitter right now. He's addicted to the attention he gets. He's addicted to saying dumb things. And when you combine that with a real addiction to drugs, that's what you're seeing right now in the greatest tech innovator of our time, self-destructing. And that is what my worry is right now. Uh, Vivek, we've done many shows about Trump. I don't know how many Twitter followers he had at his height. It wasn't 100 million. A lot of fear about Trump. Do you think that Musk, in a way, is a more dangerous figure in the long term or figures like Musk, these techno kings than, than, than the Donald Trumps of the world? Um, Elon isn't inherently evil. I mean, he isn't necessarily, you know, um, benefiting from uh, corruption or, or doing things like that. Now, Trump isn't evil either, but Trump had power and he had flaws and he was doing a lot of dumb things. He didn't know what his job, he just stepped into his job and then he was doing self-destructive things. Elon has you know, huge amounts of money and he's doing a lot of good at the same time. He literally is building the future of Star Trek, taking us to Mars. The trouble is that he's also now uh, uh, going down this downward spiral um, uh, on Twitter, you know, proclaiming, proclaiming himself a Republican. He can be a Republican, anyone can be a Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. But then spreading conspiracy theories and all this BS, one conspiracy theory after another, that is what the damage that he's doing is because you're right that he does have many, many, many followers and people do take him seriously. This is why Gary Marcus and I did this wager with um, Elon about, okay, put your money where your tweet is. If you believe that we're gonna have AGI, we'll bet you half a million dollars. Half a million dollars is chump change for you, but that's serious money for, for you know, people like Gary and me. Yeah, well, your, your, your challenge um, was this $500,000, which as you say, uh, Vivek, is a significant amount of money for you or I. Uh, but not for for Elon, and it comes back to this tweet about 2029 yeah. to to Jack Dorsey. Uh, just to repeat it, 2029 feels like a pivotal year. I'd be surprised if we don't have AGI by then. Hopefully, people on Mars too. Let's talk about Andrew, here's this, what, this AGI what, issue. Yeah. As I said, um, uh, your one of your most successful books. It was acclaimed in many ways. Was your 2020 book, The Driver in the Driverless Car, which was about AI. Why is Musk wrong about AGI? And you might define what AGI means in 2029. Yeah, if you remember um, uh, R2D2, 3CPO, if you remember um, uh, Samantha uh, from the movie Her, those were AGIs, almost sentient AIs. I mean, Star Trek, you know, uh, data. I mean, uh, data almost became sentient. Uh, I mean, data was sentient, right? That's what AGI is. Artificial general intelligence, that's when the computers can think on their own. We're nowhere near it. The, the AI we have right now is literally pattern recognition. It's artificial stupidity. It's not intelligence. All it does is you, you know, give it a model, you give it some examples, it figures out the probability of um, uh, something, you know, something being something, and it tells you um, what the likelihood of, of um, uh, you know, the data you gave it being X, Y, or Z is. That's what AI is, stupid, right? Now, um, the, there's a missing link between that and uh, intelligent machines that can think for themselves. That 
it is nowhere in sight. So much for today's artificial intelligence. It's being recognized as being dangerous. In uh, happiness and in happiness was hacked. I you know talked about uh, the um, addiction that it's creating and the techniques that they're using. The trouble is that the same techniques are now polarizing society. This is why Facebook has gone from being good to being evil. Zuckerberg is now Darth Vader because he's used these techniques to amplify hatred. That's what AI is doing right now, is that it finds out what you like, what you don't like, and it feeds you more of what you like, regardless of whether it's good for you or not. If you want, mis you know, if you like conspiracy theories, it'll keep feeding you conspiracy theories until you go crazy and you want to shoot up some children in a school. This is uh, what uh, you know the Zuckerberg uh, AI is doing, and this is what Elon is now hyping, saying that hey, it's going to be general intelligence. Uh, uh, two or three years ago, Elon was also the guy who talked about summoning the demon. He you know claimed that that the way it's going, uh, we're going to achieve AGI and we're going to summon the demon. It's going to be the end of mankind. Well, if you now uh, look at his recent uh, prediction 2029 when that happens and you look at the wackos who are following him who believed his previous predictions what, what's going to happen here you've got doomsday cults who fear that in 2029 humanity is going to be taken over by ais and they're going to start shooting up tech companies because they fear that the tech companies are going to uh, build this ai that's going to destroy humanity that is what the logical outcome of this bullshit it's is. A, it's a very chilling uh, vision um uh, vivek i'm sure you'll be writing more about it as a long-time tesla owner what do you make of elon's promise that tesla is itself developing these robots that can achieve agi essentially smart robots by 2029 is tesla a leader in this field Oh my God, if uh, T Tesla's AGI is anything like their FSD, their full service self-driving, uh, you know, that's supposed to be working on my car, we're in serious trouble. My, uh, you know, I, I've been hyping Tesla's uh, autopilot, uh, it's self-driving technologies for years and years now. Go back and read my, my stupid articles, <laughs> which I said that. I mean, I'm calling myself stupid now, right? But I've been hyping the heck out of it for so long. My car crashed into my garage not, not too long ago. My car, when I put it into autopilot and I go on the wrong road, it, it has swerved out of the lane a couple of times. And um, uh, fortunately, I could save us. Uh, but the, the, the uh, Tesla's autopilot is dangerous because it doesn't use the right sensors. Elon declared that LiDAR sensors don't make sense. What he has in there is a piece of, piece of shit set of cameras, I mean, which look in two dimensions. Humans, when we look, you know, ahead, we're looking at three dimensions. We look, we're able to see what's ahead, and 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 guess what's ahead. The Tesla can't do that. It does stupid things. I don't think Tesla's um, FSD will ever work based on the sensors that it has. In the meantime, you've got other companies, sensible companies like uh, GM's Cruise, and you have Waymo, Google, which really are using the advanced sensors and are being very cautious about what they what they. Is do. Google a leader here? Google is. Uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon um, have all invested tens, hundreds of billions of dollars in AI. Who is the leader, Vivek, at the moment? I, I think between Google and Microsoft and um, a number of startups, they really have uh, figured out how to use AI in sensible ways. Amazon uses AI very well in uh, predicting what you want to buy and and figure out how, uh, how they can make more money. Tech companies, some tech companies are using AI um, very smartly, better than others, and it gives them an advantage. And Google, like I said, with uh, with Waymo, 
I, I believe Waymo may well work in our cities in the next two or three years. And we'll see self-driving cars all over the place in the cities, not necessarily off-road off yet or um, in um, you know, uh, undefined situations, but um, the technology is moving fast enough. But I would not trust my Tesla to do that because uh, this thing is dangerous. Well, I'm not going to trust my Tesla either if you don't trust yours. Uh, last time, Vivek, you were on the show uh, back in May 2020. It's been a long two years. It's great to see you looking very well. Um, you warned that the giants of Silicon Valley are only getting bigger. Since then, there really has been a what people call a tech clash. I had someone on the show recently, Nirit Weiss-Blatt, who's written a book suggesting that the tech clash has gone too far. Do you agree with that, or has it gone far enough? It hasn't gone far enough. We have an incompetent um, government, corrupt politicians who keep taking you know money from uh, lobbyists who won't rein the tech industry, and we know there's a serious problem with the power that these tech companies have and how they're manipulating us. But U.S. Uh, lawmakers will not do anything. So Europe is taking the lead. They're now holding these companies responsible. Australia is taking the lead. They're holding these companies responsible. Other kind of, you know, I mean, we now know, I mean, look, you know, when I, um, if you go back and look at my predictions about the tech industry getting bigger, it did get bigger. We have multi-trillion dollar companies right now. And, um, you know, I have, I have this book um, uh, from incremental to exponential in which I talked about how companies are now being worth trillions of dollars um, and what the secrets of Silicon Valley are. This is a must read for anyone that wants to do innovation. In it, every single company I talked about, is, um, uh, their market cap shot through the roof over the last two years or so, even through the pandemic, because they understood exponentials, they understood the power of these technologies and they were able to leap ahead because of it. But the fact is that we have trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar companies right now and companies such as Facebook are doing evil, that they're manipulating us Amazon has become a monopoly and it's killing, you know, mom and uh, pop. It's eating its own customers. We're not reining them in because our politicians get kickbacks from the lobbyists and they won't take action. So this tech lash, it's a you know, storm within a teacup. The, the teacup is Twitter where the tech industry is, um, uh, you know, getting itself all worked up about all of this stuff. But our politicians are doing nothing to, to rein it in. I like the idea, uh, Vivek, of... Twitter as the teacup in, in the storm. What do you make, Vivek, since we've last spoken? Web3 has blown up. Crypto, people have made huge fortunes and lost huge amounts of money, especially in the last few months. Is it all another scam, essentially, by investors to make money? Is Web3 in any way for real? You know, just like you had um, uh, the, the VCs hyping the heck out of the dot-coms, Pets.com and all these companies doing the dot-com boom, and they burst. I mean, these people were creating Ponzi schemes and and creating hype. And it was it's always grandma and grandpa. It's innocent people who end up losing their savings because you have these people that they look up to, the Elon Musk's even, uh, hyping certain things. And they're like, Elon's been hyping Do Dogecoin or whatever they call that bullshit. Uh, Dogecoin, yeah. Dogecoin, yeah. So uh, they believe these uh, luminaries and they get richer because they know when to cash out and the public get left holding the bag. That's what happened with the dot-com boom. There was a massive uh, flow of capital from um, um, Main Street to Wall Street, and Wall Street got away with it. Nothing happened. The same thing is going to happen with Web3. Not to say that something good isn't going to come out of it, because we did have survivors, and we did have companies that built a lot of value. But Web3 is the dot-com boom right now. 98% complete bullshit. 
being uh, uh, so what's the two percent? What what is the two percent, which because, isn't bullshit? Well, because you do uh, you do need um, uh, I mean digital currencies. They have value. The virtual reality has value. You know the so so called metaverse that uh, that Zuckerberg has been trying to hype. It is I mean the holodecks of of science fiction, and we're going to have those. The trouble is that the way they're doing it, they're saying, okay, buy my currency and let me get rich at your expense. That's what the problem is, that they're stealing again from the public by creating misinformation. So the big funds, the recent Horowitz, are going to get filthy rich because they'll cash out just in the nick of time. But the, um, the mom and pops who believed in all this stuff, who wanted to, you know, uh, who took their life savings and wanted to be able to uh, increase them, they're going to lose their life savings. That's going to happen again. It's happening right it's now. Same old story, and we've been more you, you and I, Vivek, we've been warning about it for years. Back in yeah. 2012, you came on the show. It's a rather embarrassing photo of me, but you're looking very youthful there. Warning uh, and talking about why so few black or female entrepreneurs uh, have any success in Silicon Valley. That was more than 10 years ago, April 2012. Same uh, you came into our office, if you remember, uh, the old TechCrunch office by the ballpark. Nothing's changed much. No, it's still a white man's business, isn't it? Yep. And those are the boys who are hyping Web3 and creating these Ponzi schemes. It's, it's the boys who are doing it. I, this is why I wish there were women here, because the women would not be doing creating this nonsense. I mean, we would be building the you know, um, digital currencies and, and you know, using blockchain for what it's good for. But we wouldn't be hyping the heck out of it because women don't do the same you know, thing that these crazy boys do. Do you think Sheryl Sandberg's resignation, and maybe she resigned, maybe she was fired from Facebook, is that in some way symbolic too this week? It's nothing to do with women in tech. It's more to do with the evils that Facebook was doing. But I suspect that there's going to be another shoe that falls, that there's going to be some indictment or something else. I mean, uh, some legal issues, some legal cases, and she's just bailing out before it gets too hot, um, uh, you know, because it, it's clear that from uh, what I'm reading, that there's been some wrongdoing done by Facebook that they may have lied to. Mildly. Yes. Yeah, I know. So, um, uh, and- you, you spent a lot of your life, you're originally from India. You spent a lot of time in India. You know the Indian tech scene as well as anyone. I, I talked last night, actually, to Samit Basu, uh, the science fiction writer in India, who, who presents the Indian dystopia in tech terms. What's happening in India? Is it a sort of a unique dystopia, this third dystopia somewhere between... China and the United States in terms of the surveillance capitalism is being pioneered in India? Or does India offer some promise, a chink of light? Uh, it's, it's all of the above. I mean, yes, you have, uh, you know, the, some of the same problems, some of the same VC types who are doing crazy things. And then uh, you have uh, privacy being abused and so on and so on. But on the other hand, you're also uplifting, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of people there, you know, through technology and through this. I mean, now uh, practically... You know, everyone in India seems to have a smartphone wherever you go, which means that they can now use apps. They have information. They're able to not only enjoy entertainment, but they're also now able to do shopping on the Internet. So there's a lot of good that's happening there. And it's always the same. There's always good and evil at the same time. So India, frankly, I'm not too worried about right now because there may be, you know, an elite population that uh, is getting paranoid. But the masses, they're doing fine. They're they're now... uh, coming online and getting smarter and uh, more connected. They have bank accounts. Um, a lot of good coming from technology in India. It right? is uh, in India, and, and this is an interesting debate, which I talked to Samit about. Um, 
Is digital identity in India for people who didn't have traditional identities from the analog state, is it a form of emancipation or enslavement? Is it something that we should celebrate or be worried about? Andrew, without criticizing Sameto anyone, you right now you have a bunch of elite leftists who are going who are going on about oh uh, we're taking the privacy away. They don't have to realize that the poor over there don't even have a didn't I mean uh, the vast majority forty percent of the population was is uh, in the informal economy. They don't have birth certificates because they were born in villages outside hospitals. So they don't have they don't have identities. They didn't have bank accounts. They weren't able to be in the part of the formal economy because they didn't have, you know, uh, they, they didn't exist as far as the government goes. Over the last decade, all of these problems have been fixed. That not only do they have identities now, they have bank accounts, they have connectivity, they're able to now uh, share information. So you've got a bunch of, like I said, these, uh, uh, I mean, you've got the same problem in the United States, you've got the extreme left and the extreme right. You've got some people in India who are grave, you know, going on about, oh, but their privacy will be compromised. What, what are we talking about here? These people didn't have identity. Do you know how what it's like not to have identity, not to be able to to transact in commerce, not to be able to um, uh, have any type of uh, uh, you know uh, credit cards or digital things or have driver's licenses? This is what the situation in, in India was, and this is what the government fixed with Aadhaar, which is a digital identity system. And then they had this you know the revolutionary uh, United uh, Universal Payments Interface (UPI) by which an entire new digital economy has been built that doesn't require these stupid blockchains that the Web3 bigots are going on about. In India, you can send money to anyone. It happens instantly through almost the equivalent of text messages directly from your bank account to the other person's bank account. No blockchain, no BS, point to point. That's the way digital currencies should have been. So India is doing many, many things right, and we can learn from them, actually. Should we be chilled by the social credit system emerging in China, pioneered by the authoritarian or perhaps even totalitarian Xi regime? Absolutely. We should be terrified of the... Uh, I mean, China is big. I mean, Big Brother would be drooling about the power that uh, Xi Jinping and, and uh, the communists have because they're watching everything you do every, you know, all the time. They're able to control your, uh, um, your access to places. I mean, what's happening in China is this dystopia. So, yeah, we need to worry about that because... China is spreading all this evil to its client countries. I mean, there are dozens of countries worldwide that it controls now, and they're spreading the same poison, um, uh, surveillance capitalism, into these countries. So there's a lot to worry about over there. There's an interesting piece today in the Times, New York Times, about why most tech predictions are wrong. We, Vivek, you and I, we had the whole Robert Scoville, Google Glass thing. Pokemon Go, they've all promised that's the future and it never was. People now are talking about the metaverse. Do you have any predictions that are counterintuitive that most of our viewers and listeners won't have heard? What do you think could be the future of tech, which the, the typical Web3 fanboys aren't currently talking about? Andrew, this article reminds me of uh, an article that appeared in the New York Times in the 80s called The Executive Computer. It said, look, no one's using PCs. PCs are dead. Um, you know, they came and they went. Uh, would you ever take a PC phishing with you? I mean, if I you know, Google the article, uh, Executive Computer, New York Times, and, and you'll see it. That's what the thing is. Yes, uh, predictions are wrong because with technologies, they go, you know, move slowly for a while and then they get on this exponential curve 
That's not advancing. Yeah, um, it's from, as you put it in your, from incremental to exactly. exponential. That's what the book talks about. And what happens is that for a while you're disappointed because you had all these amazing predictions that Andrew made, that Vivek made about what's going to happen in the future and nothing happened. So you were, you know, excited, amazed, and that turns into disappointment. And then suddenly the curve starts inflecting upwards and disappointment turns into amazement. That is how all these technologies are. So in this decade, we will have flying cars. We're going to have flying taxis in Silicon Valley in the next five years or so that take us from our homes to um, uh, the airport or to other parts, to Napa Valley. You'll be able to drone yourself there by the end of this decade. That's coming, whether you like it or not. Peter Thiel famously said about Twitter that uh, we were promised flying cars and all we got was 140 characters, but you're saying that we will finally get we those flying cars. The flying cars are coming. I mean, uh, this drone technology has now evolved to the point that you can take people in it, they're coming, the drones are coming. We will yet be able to get our Starbucks delivered to us. The, even though Tesla may crash and burn with their FSD, there will be other companies that give us autonomous driving. Those are coming. Robots that can you know help us not with not with this bs agi that elon is promising that won't happen but robots that can do mundane tasks are coming they will, robots already now can do the work that human beings can do in factory situations they can now work on farms they can now work uh, in stores and load shelves those technologies evolve to the point that they are functional so by the end of this decade we will have robots everywhere they're not going to be the stuff of science fiction but they'll be, you know, doing a lot for them. And then, you know, the most amazing uh, th thing, Andrew, this is what um, one of the key projects I'm working on is we will be able to cure cancer and every other disease. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Vivek. Uh, Biden is uh, reigniting the, the cancer moonshot. And you very sadly lost your wife, I know, a few years ago to cancer. You have a particular invest emotional investment in this. Is that realistic? Andrew, my wife was everything to me. And when I lost her literally for a year, I, I didn't step out of the house because uh, it, was, it, was, you know, it was such a severe loss. And the only thing that, and you know, you're on my private mailing list. So you, you saw how I basically stopped writing. I mean, I exited from the world because this is how much I cared for. The only reason why I now I'm back to where I was before and so energized and engaged is because I made it my life's mission now to cure cancer. I'm going to do that because I'm going to do it for my wife. That She wanted that no one... Her you know, last wish was that no one suffered the way she did. I'm going to put my life into curing this deadly disease. And then I'm working on a number of other projects that are going to help billions of people, going to uplift humanity. This is what keeps me going right now. Now, getting back to cancer, cancer is, uh, uh, there's no one disease called cancer. Every cancer is unique. But the fact is that um, we know how to cure disease right now. The good thing that came from the pandemic, there are very few good things that came from the pandemic, but the good thing that came from the pandemic was that we were able to perfect a platform for delivering um, um, uh, you know, the vaccines to, to the body, the micro uh, mRNA platform. So all, that, all Moderna needed and BioNTech needed to be able to target COVID was to know what the genetic sequence of the, uh, the virus was. So they identified the spike protein and they were able to now deliver um, uh, you know, um, um, antigens to specifically target that protein. The same technology can be applied to cancer. We need to know what uh, you know the antigens, what the targets are for our uh, new deliverable uh, vaccines. And if we can do that, we can cure it. The problem in the United States is that we have a corrupt medical system. 
it's all geared towards making the pharma companies richer. You know, you talk about the tech industry, the pharma industry is a tech industry's um, a younger brother in that it's all about money, 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 making the pharma companies richer. Clinical trials are geared towards making the pharma companies money. Hospitals, doctors, if we don't get sick, um, they don't make money. So they're geared towards sick care, not healthcare. We don't have a healthcare system where we have a corrupt sick care system. So the data that we need to cure cancer is not available in the United States because of all of these regulations that are built to protect the, the uh, pharma industry. So this is why I went to India. I put together a grand plan with, with some of the amazing scientists that tried to help me save my wife. And the grand plan is about doing the largest clinical trial in world history. I want 100,000 people. Now we're going to do millions of people. We're going to genetically sequence their tumors. We're going to now get all the biosamples we need, uh, the tumor uh, tissues, the samples, the blood, saliva, everything we need. We're going to cryogenically preserve it. And then we're going to open source all of this, make it available to researchers all over the world so that they have what they need to cure cancer. Is this a startup, Vivek, or a public interest nonprofit initiative? K-A-R-K-I-N-O-S Health. You can Google it. You can go to their website. Um, it's a bunch of philanthropists in India. I mean, uh, uh, Venkat Ramachandran, um, um, Ratan Tata's lieutenant, wonderful, wonderful human being, Moni Korikos. There are a bunch of amazing scientists who who are as passionate about curing cancer as I am. Ratan Tata put the first you know, um, many millions of dollars into this. And now, uh, who's who of India has put many... Would, um, uh, would Elon Musk be wiser to put his billions of dollars into this rather than... I Twitter. wish he would because we could cure cancer and every disease. And this is why I'm so disappointed with Elon that rather than spending billions of dollars on buying Twitter and, and self-destructing, he could be helping me cure cancer and then helping billions of people because I'm working on a bunch of other projects that are literally world-changing. I'm going to launch the next green agricultural revolution. I'm going to bring you know sanitary water to billions of people. I mean, these are- You're going to be the next king, Vivek. Well, no, I'm not, uh, like with Cartinos, I have zero stock in it. Uh, they, you know, uh, Venkat wanted to give me stock. I said, Venkat, I, I'm, uh, you know, save it because I'm going to put it into a trust fund. And when the, you know, Cartinos does have all of this stuff and it's worth billions, we're going to take all of the money from that. And he's done the same. He's putting all of his stock into a trust fund. We're going to use it to provide free cancer care to patients all over the world. I, I'm not going to make money from this. I'm not going to make money from curing cancers. When I go to, to uh, Kerala in India, uh, you know, I've been there uh, twice in the last year. I go at my own cost. I'm not taking a penny from them because this is my way of giving back to the world and and fulfilling my wife's wish that we got to cure cancer. So it's all about giving back. Even in the other projects, um, um, you know, I invested in one, this company, uh, Plasma Waters, that's doing a lot of this stuff. But it's not about making money. It's about doing good for the world because I don't care about money. I mean, you know, when you lose your soulmate, you realize that all the money in the world can't buy you happiness. What good is money when you, you know you're being ripped apart and and this happens? I don't care about money. It's about doing good for the world. That's the only thing that that motivates and inspires me now.